Hawaiian pizza. <laughs> oh, that sucks. <laughs> not only I does that you're gonna say that was good. Not, not only does that suck. That is horrific. There is there are a few things that people should be immediately executed for, and Hawaiian pizzas are definitely one of them. They absolutely yeah. suck. Yes, you know it doesn't suck. But it does suck as well. What decon. sucks as well? Well, decon sucks. But you know, you know what can make decon suck a little bit less, Bob? What's that? Is frontline first line. Wow, I said frontline. First line, first line technologies hybrid decon. They are absolutely revolutionizing the decon process using their bar method of blot, apply, and remove using wet and dry decon methods. Yeah, they're making this so small you can throw this in the back of your cheese car by no rigging, no hoses, and a really small footprint. So it's compact. Check them out at makedeconsuckless.com. Visit them at firstlinetech.com where they are making decon suck just a little bit less. And don't forget about their in-person uh, decon classes. They are doing a whole bunch of train the trainers, which is uh, we're excited to get to. Yeah, and their classes are great. Our classes are great as well, and you should definitely be looking at both for some of your upcoming training. But uh, why would you come to us for your training, Bob? Because we are delivering experience and not just plain boring training. All of our classes are fresh, fresh takes, takes time and effort, but its outcome is worth it because our courses aren't designed years ago. In fact, we just finished one this morning. Yeah. Uh, like- <laughs> our our um our classes we are partnering with companies to bring the most lit equipment oh a little little generational gapping there for you uh and our technology the devices are the opportunities that we're bringing to the classroom are bringing everybody one step closer to the realest world scenario possible in a classroom yeah our instructors got mad drip so oh, mad drip Right, you just gotta uh, you look. just gotta let them cook. If you let them cook, they will they will cap the class. There is so many eye rolls I can hear right now. So don't <laughs> let your potential go untapped. Choose your training partner and choose us as your training partner. And embark on a personal and professional growth journey. Go to thehazmatguys.com/slash/hires and reserve your spot to start your transformational training today. All right, back hey with part four. Part four, if you're listening to this, then we have already passed by the Destroyers Club. It was an absolutely amazing chunk of time that we were able to sit and uh, and pull out information, some great videos, some unbelievable shots, uh, really a good time. If you don't know anything about it, go ahead back to, to YouTube. You can watch the recorded uh, episode of it on YouTube. It is the Batteries Destroyers. Yeah, like lots of good fun. And our brand new show that will be recording live on roughly a monthly basis is going to be the After Action Report podcast. And we are bringing on our first guest, Mike Callen, which this will be right before us recording this. So if you have nothing to do January 3rd, 2024 at 1930 hours Eastern Standard Time, come on on. 
Comments are going to be on Facebook and YouTube, live simulcast. Check it out. Get involved and ask the questions you want to know about what it was like in the beginning. We have a long list of guests that are coming on, and they're all psyched to come on. Um, and I will also throw out, probably right around the end of this recording, uh, we are going to be finishing up our final Black Friday and Cyber Monday sale. So if you want to get your uh, specialist or technician uh, upgrades, this is the time because after this, they, that sale goes away. So get in there and equip yourself to be a hero and do things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and conferences. conferences. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was, I was, I'm going, what is this? Conferences. We got to know about yeah. conferences. Conferences, uh, Connecticut Fire Department Instructors, WAMR, which is the Wisconsin Northeast Hazmat, which is formerly the Massachusetts, is now the whole region. OMRA, which is Ontario, that is going to be crazy. I'm looking forward to that one. And I think that's going to be like kind of all hands on deck for the Hazmat guys. Uh, Michigan, Cold Zone, South Carolina, and um, Mike does not love bananas. There is an amendment in here. So <laughs> Unless they're chocolate the covered. I, I will do a chocolate covered banana. Yeah, if, if you listened to the last episode, you heard uh, a little joke that came out with that. So, anywho. All right, back to, back to the wonderful world of terrorism, how things have changed. Uh, that's kind of where we're at right now, and we want to kind of dive into the, uh, the, the newest style uh, of, uh, of how they're coming to kill us. Yeah, so um, one of the emerging threats that have been coming out is the ambush-style attack on first responders, where they're, they're outright, you know, they're not, I don't want to say they're not, because it's not prevalent really a lot. You don't hear a lot about it on, a, on the news, but they're, they're a lot more uh, guerrilla. Would you say? Would, yeah, more uh, the way I kind of understand it is it's, it's an opportunity thing where it's less of a plan than more of a, oh, look, I have the means and they're yep. over there. Let me get them now. Right. And so due to their, the constant visibility and accessibility around the clock, on-duty first responders are at risk of falling victim to ambusher attacks, like a cop sitting in a car eating McDonald's just happened, I think, last night. Um, up until July of 2019, three law enforcement officers lost their lives in ambush attacks upon reaching incident scenes. Now, I just want to say real quick before I keep going from my own point of view, there is there is definitely in this age, uh, and I'm just going to speak the truth, and, and you may not like the truth, but it is the truth, there is a huge public... Uh, dis uh, disconnect right now between the opinions of law enforcement officers and the opinions of other first responders. Um, for whatever reason, it, it, it is what it is. Don't sit here and, and say as a as a, a first responder that's not law enforcement. Oh yeah, well this is this is a cop issue. This is a cop issue because I promise you that as things start to escalate, um, you're very used to right now being seen as like. I don't want to say a hero for lack of better words, but the public views you in a very, you know, high light. But when things start to break down, if things were to ever start to break down, you represent the the system that they're fighting against. So you will only be held in high esteem up until a certain point. So please don't sit, you know, we're going to talk about some some things in, in the coming up as far as, you know, events that have happened to highlight this type of attack. Please don't just sit there and be like, well, that's law enforcement. That's law enforcement, because there are plenty of, uh, you know, active shooters that have gone after that fire departments and fire trucks and things like that. So I just want to make that really clear. 
like, don't discount this just because you're not law enforcement. And a lot of the scenarios are law enforcement based. Uh, a joint study conducted by the FBI and the U.S. University, uh, or they studied uh, ambush and unprovoked attacks, revealed that a contributing factor uh, in ident- that were identified by law enforcement include distractions, underestimation of threat, and a lack of awareness or alertness. Now, guys, this is something that we've highlighted over and over again with the other methods of attacks and the things that we've learned, right? That, that we're being distracted, we're looking to the left, and something is happening to the right. Uh, that underestimated threat, ah, whatever, that that homeless guy is no big deal. What could he possibly do to us? And then all of a sudden, from three feet away, he's attacking us with a machete in his hand. Uh, a lack of awareness, like just not realizing that when you step off the rig, you are a target and you are a threat and you do start to lose that alertness because as somebody who's been there, you know, you're being told year after year after year, this is an issue. This is an issue. This is such a big deal. We're training on this. And 10 years later, nothing has ever happened to you. Do you still jump off the rig with that same level of awareness and alertness? No, the answer is no, you don't. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that that we should be doing that. It's very hard to keep that edge. It is. It's an very edge hard. that dulls so fast, and you don't want to sharpen it. You're like, fuck this, man. Like, why am I doing this? I did know a couple guys that, that kept that edge for 20-plus years, and they always did that. But they were Few and unique far between. dudes. Yeah. Yeah, and unique dudes. And so... One thing about this study that we're we're referring to is there were some stunning numbers in here. So the study found that 68% of the ambushes between 1990 and 2012 were spontaneous, opportunistic attacks. Like it was just popped up and they made a decision right there. While 32% of that was premeditated and luring ambushes. So the two to one, the two vast to one. majority are... I, it the pres the the opportunity presented itself and I took it. Now think about this, right? Like we, we this is from a a mindset. The ambush, this this spontaneous, is from a mindset who are people who are pissed off at the system, mm-hmm. right? They're pissed off at the system, and all they need to do is identify you as a first responder as being part of that system, and they will go after you. According to the FBI's Uniform Crime Report spanning from 2014 to 18, ambush attacks were the second most common circumstance encountered by law enforcement officers upon the arrival at a scene or incident. During this period, 53 law enforcement officers were recognized as victims of ambush attack. And I know what you're thinking. Okay, yeah, it's great. That's the cops. But I am telling you, what we see happen with the cops is a pattern that will absolutely happen to the rest of the first responder world. I think one of the the reasons why we don't get jumped as much as the cops is because I'm going to say in typical fashion, cops are riding solo. And we usually come with two or three guys with our backs. Yeah, I'm not saying it's definite. I'm just saying it is you, you don't see a fire truck rolling around solo. Yeah. It usually has two to three guys. Well, and I, I know, unfortunately, you know, I don't want to say this, but I will, you know, where we came from, the especially leaving, as we were leaving our job, it wasn't like this all the time, but as we were leaving our job, the public had a real distaste and disregard and disrespect for the PD. And they yeah. still kind of looked at us like we were we were always there to help them and the cops were always there to hurt them. So we definitely have a, a layered approach, but... It will break down. I mean, how many times did we go to to project buildings where 
you were a, almost attacked walking in things being thrown at you from the top floor you know like you were still a target of their their anger yeah in january 2019 an individual later identified uh was placed a 911 call from outside the maricopa county sheriff's office substation in the fountain hills in arizona seeking to speak with a deputy upon the deputy's arrival the man threw rocks and brandished a knife Despite repeated warnings to drop the weapon, the responding deputy eventually shot the man. Subsequently, the individual faced legal charges, including two counts of terrorism and one count of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, as documented in court records. In February of 2018, an identified man was guilty of attempted murder and aggravated assault against them in Philadelphia. Oh, sorry, against a Philadelphia police officer uh, for a 2016 attack. The man who pledged allegiance to ISIS ambushed the officer and fired at the driver's side and the officer's patrol car with a stolen police gun, striking three, uh, striking the officer three times. In June 2017, an identified Canadian man shouted Allahu Akbar, which is God of the Great, and blamed the United States for the deaths of Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, before stabbing the police officer in the neck outside the TSA area in the Bishop International Airport in Flint, Michigan. 36% of ambush-style attacks end up using firearms. 3% end up using a knife. 35% are just using their hands. They're just coming up and trying to strangle you or throwing punches. Uh, and 26% use something else or a car. This seems like a good place to talk about a little bit of communication, getting things clear between all parties. And one of the things you want to do is go right to CAVCOM. I don't know if that's a good segue. I like the segue. It's kind any of a se- macabre. Any, any segue is a good segue. <laughs> well, CAVCOM's new talk through your ear 5000 is the latest two-way technology for radio accessories and the in-suit communications. Right. These are lightweight, compact. They require no battery. Uh, they're powered by your radio, and they work with any SCBA ensemble. They are the clearest communication device on the market, period. Yeah. So check out the Talk Through Your Ears 5000. It keeps your required components to a minimum. All you need is your radio, the Cavcom oversized push, push to talk uh, control unit, and universal fit ear set. It is that simple. So go to Cavcom's website. And go and get your set and tell them you got it, the information from us. So some of the tactics that we can use to protect ourselves from this style attack, at least according to the federal government. So one of them, I'm going to say, is when responding to an ambush attack involving a downed first responder, right? So you get the call that it's police down, an engine company's under attack, an ambulance is under attack. Don't immediately rush to the location if the threat's location is not known. I know this sounds counterintuitive where we're always thinking about just jumping in and getting it in there. But do you, do you think any now this is a this these are direct suggestions from the Joint Terrorism Task folks, just to let you guys know. All right. These are not these are not our suggestions. Do, do you think that is even possible in any way, shape or form? Like how how would how would that suggestion even go down? Like what you you got you you've got a you know the we're, we're sitting at the firehouse and, and we hear that the squad is under attack, right? And and we respond, we're gonna go to a staging area and 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 wait till the area the scene is safe. Like no, no, no. the reality of that situation is, man, you better go in and everybody's carrying something to swing. 
Right. <laughs> That's a good point. Yes. Right. Like, like th- I don't think that I necessarily. I, theoretically, I guess, you know, from a safety point of view, I agree with that. But I think the reality of the situation is go in prepared for battle. Right. Right. Uh, Establish protocols. This is now another one. Uh, Establish protocols and procedures against ambush style assaults to increase your your, um, first responder safety. Perform joint training with specialized units that include observation, tactical encounter sniper teams, counter ambush tactics and resiliency including the use of overwatch techniques offender engagements survival and tactical emergency casualty care this is all what they're generally calling cross training yep and this is what j hat teams specialize in of looking at the same problem from different lenses yes to uh, to get different outcomes and it's it's an in, it's an incredibly powerful operation. If you if your if your organization is not thinking in a J hat like, well, we're small, we don't need that. You at least need to understand what it is, and then you say, "Holy cow! I could just call my counterpart in the cops and sanitation and OEM and the, the the drone squad or whatever, and get everybody together and be like, I didn't even think about that." It's a huge yeah. thing. Yeah, this this next one, this next suggestion that they have is kind of interesting because I've never actually seen anybody uh, have a plan for this Uh, plan for ambush attacks from high grounds and target rich environments such as large crowds. Now, on its surface, that makes total sense. But have you ever been in a training where it was like, okay, we're going to start stretching a hose and now we're going to respond because we're under attack like we have trained to be arriving on scene to an attack, but we've never trained to actually how do we either continue what we're doing while being under attack or stop our operation and protect ourselves during an attack. Food for thought. Food for thought. You should be wearing your recommended protective gear, such as if you have body armor, eye protection, gloves, boots, whatever else you need. Yeah, the medical supplies to be able to uh, work with these mass casualty instances or even helping our own if we're, you know, suppressed for some reason and not able to get help, uh, such as tourniquets, hemostatic agents, chest seals, pressure bandages, and any other casualty item. Duty equipment, such as firearms, tasers, pepper spray, handcuffs, batons, is separately, is properly secured and preventing seizure by the perpetrator, that is, I know that's a big thing with police is that you don't want to give them your gun. Right, yeah, I mean, that would say, right, but sitting here as a firefighter, I would turn around and say, well, how would that apply to me? And again, getting back to Bob's point of, well, this is why you should be forming a J-Hat team because as a firefighter, your firearm, your taser, your pepper spray, your handcuffs, and your baton, they're the dude next to you that's coming in with you. Mm-hmm. Like, we've taken and we've separated out these 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 roles, and then we've put them together with separate individuals. So, yeah, you may not be having a handgun. You may not be having pepper spray, but your your partner on the, the J-Hat team that's coming in with you, he's he's the one. Yeah. Right. Uh, Practice mitigation tactics uh, such as maintaining safe distances, parking in in well lit areas, which can be good and bad. Right. Because if I'm going to sniper you off, it's really good if you're in a well lit area. (laughs) So think about that. Um, 
uh, cars away from buildings, and uh, you want to try to minimize that drive-through ambush. Now, and you know, this is very hazmat. This is a hazmat show, but they have hot zones as far as uh, incidents as well. So get out of the hot zone and notify units of where the hot zone is and where the location or probable location of the attacker is known. If you have the ability to do this, I think it's great. But in short scenes, they're no longer active and offenders are gone or neutralized before conducting uh, containment and scene preservation procedures. Right. And recognize the distractions and routine behaviors, such as like writing reports in the patrol vehicle or commonly frequented eating establishments that breeds complacency like this is oh this is where i get my ribs every night like you're comfortable in there you go in there and you're not really thinking about things and that's where like i I gotta say in the last like couple of years there's been quite a few ambushes of cops just sitting in the car writing in their patrol book doing that kind of stuff to the point where i know in new york city they put bulletproof doors and glass on all the doors that's that's insane it is absolutely insane. Um, avoid avoid uh, threatening calls. I'm sorry. Avoid treating calls for services as routine and follow all of your department and agency protocols to properly evaluate the operational environment and refocus the awareness level. This is stuff that we really went into in uh, in the, the first podcast uh, that we did on terrorism back in part one. So if you want to revamp that, by all means, head back to part one of this. Yeah, uh, second due arriving units, uh, backup units, should provide ample room and not block the access for responding emergency medical services if they're needed. Be aware of suspicious behavior, such as an individual looking around to see who's watching, uh, which could indicate that they have the intent to attack uh, a first responder and then flee the area. We can absolutely. I mean, it gets a little bit difficult when you start tacking the homeless, you know, into this scenario. But you can definitely you look around on scene and, and, and the crowd, especially in New York, like in New York, nobody cares what's happening around them. They are completely unfazed by everything. So when you get that person that's like really intent and is suddenly super curious on everything that's going on that 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 for us that was always kind of a red flag yeah be careful of any um tight language trapped language that also may precede any type of like violent assaults like i have no other choice or you're making me do this there's nothing i can do that kind of stuff is they're boxed into a a corner and they're going to be unpredictable Right, which oddly enough is the same language I used to use when they would call me in for mandatory tours. Yes. You know, so, right. Uh, Incorporate increase alert mechanisms such as uh, a patrol car computer system that warns uh, officers when a person may be committing a violent crime or have a history of violent crime. So as fire department personnel, uh, communicate more with your cops. Like this is this is a cop thing that they have access to. We should have open communication back and forth as we arrive on scene. Hey, do we know anything about this guy? Yeah, he has a history of X, Y, and Z. Okay, maybe we should kind of take a step back. And keep in mind, the staging area, we might have said it a couple of times, like, oh, whatever. Staging areas are good. They are a good place to kind of gather up, gather info, take a second look at things, and, and so use them is what I'm saying. 
But now, interesting thing about staging areas, right? The last podcast, we talked a lot about protecting the personnel within the system. A lot of times, staging areas are remote from the incident, especially kind of the, the larger the incident, the more remote that staging area becomes. So it may not be um, as protected as the scene itself. And it's definitely something to think about when you're establishing that staging area is how can I protect that just like I would protect my scene. Uh, and then recommended safety routes for responding personnel. We covered this one extensively in the, the first episode where we talked about never taking the same route two times in a row. Always make sure that your behavior is just a, a, a erratic enough where it can't be predicted. I think this is the last show for the year. Oh, hear those sleigh bells ringing a ringle jing. Oh, no, nope, yeah. we got one more. Oh. So we'll bring you one more for the year. And then oh, it'll be off to 2020. That'll be, will that be our Christmas episode where we dress up as elves? Yes. Nice. Very excited. 